You may be seated. Let's uh, stop and think for just a moment as we bow our heads about uh, the needs that we have in our body. I, uh, well, the other day, got a phone call and looked down and uh, do you do like I do? You don't answer calls where you don't recognize the number. And uh, I looked down there to see who it was, and it was John Rawson. And I thought, oh, well, that'd be good to talk to Brother John. And then he told me that uh, his great niece had died of COVID, and he was getting ready to call the family. And uh, I was able to pray with him before he did that. And uh, that's just a reminder that sometimes other people, the things that they might be going through or the things they might be facing, you have absolutely no idea about the challenge that they face. And that may be for the clerk at Walmart. That could be for the person sitting beside you in a chair today. That could be somebody that is watching by live stream. We think we know, and sometimes... We're really guilty about kind of judging other people when we really haven't walked in their shoes and we don't know what they're facing. And we've got other people here that are facing things. And um, uh, I told you last week about some of the stuff that I'm going through. I have a CT scan tomorrow uh, right around noon. I'd appreciate your prayers on that. And uh, the uh, pulmonologist situation... I, uh, they've moved that up a couple of weeks. So now I uh, get to see one the 1st of March. But that's still, to me, that seems like a long time. And so uh, I'd rather uh, get something done sooner rather than later, as you can imagine. And um, I know that there are other people that are going through things too. If you looked on Facebook, you saw that... Uh, Pat Bartmas Seeley is getting ready to have an MRI, and she's having uh, problems. I believe it's with her back, if I'm not mistaken. When um, you look at other things, did you uh, happen to see Delise asking for uh, a very urgent, unspoken request? You know, uh, those kind of things always unnerve me because my mind can go in a million different directions as to you know, what the problem might be. But the Lord knows, doesn't he? And uh, Tanya has her open heart surgery tomorrow. And um, we just need to be lifting up one another and praying for one another. Vicki Russell has some uh, needs and uh, some things for us to pray about. And uh, we just find them all over the place. In fact, how many of you know somebody that could use some prayer right now? Will you just on their behalf... Just slip your hand up in the air all over the auditorium. We all know somebody, don't we? We all know. Now, you might be that person, and we want to pray for you today as well. So let's take time to pray for the body and to pray for our brothers and sisters and to ask the Lord to bless and to care for, to heal and to comfort and to strengthen um, our body during these uh, difficult days. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, when we think about all of the things that are going on just in our lives and just in our church, just in our community, 
And then we think about seven or eight billion people all over the world, and yet you're the one who watches over all of them. You take care of them, and you help them, and you bless them. And sometimes even through difficulties, you actually reveal yourself, and you bring people through hardship and through trials, through the unknown and through difficulties and the storms of life. You bring them to a place where they have no place else to turn but to you. And Lord, we want to ask you that as believers, we would remember what Jesus told us, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we never need to get to a point to where we think we don't need you, to where we think we've got resources, we've got enough wisdom, we've got enough strength, we've got enough experience, we've got enough power. The truth of the matter is, we are impoverished. And outside of you, we have nothing. But oh, in Christ, we have the riches of God. In Christ, we have more than we could ever, ever, ever use. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And so as we think about people in our own church fellowship, all of these that raised their hands, some who didn't, some who are not here, we want to ask you, Lord, that they might feel the presence of your Holy Spirit, that they might follow the teachings of your word, and that they might lean upon you, and that you might heal them and strengthen them and give them guidance. And Father, I want to pray for the United Conference that's coming up this weekend for our students. And I pray that you would bless those who are speaking, those who are singing, and those who are attending. Oh Lord, in these troubled and dark times, our students need a touch from God. And probably, Lord, if we were to think about it, they need it as much as ever. And I want to pray, Father, that you would save teenagers. I want to pray that you would renew teenagers. I want to pray that you would draw them unto you and empower them and then set them loose on a lost and dying world that Christ might be exalted in and through them and that their lives might be changed and impacted for decades to come. So Lord, thank you for the ministries that you give us and thank you for the opportunities you give us. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us, as we've been singing, yourself, the greatest treasure ever. And so, O oh great King, we worship you. And we ask you to bless us. And we ask that we might return that blessing unto you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's go to the scripture. We're going to go to the book of Exodus, and we're going to go to uh, chapter 20 as we make our way through this. And uh, this is the part where, as you know, uh, Mount Sinai, the Lord is giving the uh, law to the um, children of Israel. He's getting them established, and he's getting them established the way that he wants them to be. And one of the things that we have to learn is that when we are trying to get God to behave in the way that we want him to behave, that is called futility. 
But when we conform to him, he is always willing to receive us, to forgive us, to work in us, to work through us, and to empower us with all of the resources that we need to be what he wants us to be. I think that in um, past days of my life, I felt like God saved me, and then he put me out there and he said, now, do something for me, and you better get it right. And then I spent the rest of my life with just this moving around, trying to find something that would please God, trying to find something that he wanted me to do. And I would look and see some of the giants of the faith, and I would think, oh, how fortunate, how blessed. I might have even said how lucky they were that they could find what God wanted them to do. And they would have these stories that would, uh, you know, just, I was walking along and all of a sudden a man came up, gave me a million dollars and said, go on radio and that's what happened. Ah, I wish something like that would happen to me. And I would hear these other stories and I would try to do what they would do. You ever done that? And I heard one guy, he got up every morning at 4.30 and I thought, well, that's where the power is. In fact, I read his book and it said that Every hour after four in the morning, the prayer power was diminished. Well, that put me, I was a college student. What time do you think I was getting up? And I would uh, get up early, early, and I would try, and I would try to pray. Prayed some funny stuff, funny stuff. Don't even remember what it was prayer, but I'd be starting off on one thing, and uh, old people alert here like a phonograph, the needle skipping around on the record. You remember that? That's the way my prayer life was. And I finally figured out I'm not the best morning person. Some of you are. You say, oh, I give the Lord the best part of my day, and you give him, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning. That's not the best part of my day. That's the worst part of my day. I don't remember things when I get up that early, okay? I'm a night person. And I uh, do things better like that or other parts of the day. And um, I was really glad when I read in the Psalms that David said, at morning, at noon, and at night, I will seek your face. And I went, yes, finally, there's something besides that early morning stuff. Papa Sam used to say, the only reason people get up early is to brag about it. Right? It's about the way it is. Mark Lowry always said, if you get up too early, you're infringing on Chinese people's time with God because they're not finished yet with theirs. But uh, I would try, try, try really hard to try to copy other people to do what they would do. And if I would hear them in a testimony say, I do this or I don't do this, maybe a certain activity, then I wasn't going to try it either because... To me, that seemed to be, well, that's where the power is. And so I'm going to emulate them. Now, am I saying that we can't learn from other people? No, I'm not saying that. And am I saying that sometimes we do need to learn from those who are older, who are more mature than we are? Of course we do. Don't, don't read too much into this. But I think you understand what I was saying. It was more of copying them than it was being who God had made me to be. And the problem is that when you learn to perform 
And when you learn to kind of walk where other people are, you're walking in their footsteps. The problem is you don't always deal with what's in your own heart. Now, one of the things that as we begin to look in Exodus chapter 20 is we're always kind of looking for these things, these secrets that I can do that are going to change my life because I've seen other people and uh, they seem to know the, the secret. And if you ever want to have a best-selling book in America, especially among American Christians, I mean, some of you who are older, think about this. All you have to do is put secret in the title and you'll sell a million copies. The secret to praying. Is that really a secret? The secret to witnessing for Christ. Is that really a secret? Sometimes it's even uh, people put things in there. Secrets of the rich. Oh, the rich people know some secrets that I don't know. And then you get in there and you find out that they do things like, huh, they spend less than they earn. They invest. They save money for things instead of going into debt. Well, that's not a secret. It's kind of disappointing, isn't it? You thought there was going to be that one thing, invest in peanut butter and become rich or something like that. It doesn't work that way. And let me tell you, that's the way it is in walking with God too. He has not, listen, he has not hidden it from you. He is not punishing you. He is not simply revealing it to a chosen special few among the body of Christ and leaving you out of it. He's given it to you in his word. And I want to uh, ask you to think today about the concept of morality that Moses is laying out in front of the children of Israel. I mean, let's stop and think. Where have they been all of these years? Well, they've been in slavery. And what have they been taught? And what have, what, what's been going on in their life? And what have they seen? And what have they observed? How much discipleship is taking place? How much do they know about their God? Isn't it interesting that when Moses starts writing the Bible, he's writing while they're in the wilderness, and the first words he writes are, In the beginning God. Those words change everything, don't they? And Moses had to teach the people of Israel about God. And he starts with creation in Genesis. In Exodus, as he's writing these things down, he begins to teach them about the standards by which God wants them to live. And they had to learn it, and they had to learn to apply it. They didn't always do a good job. You've read the book, most of you. And they didn't always do it right. And sometimes there were consequences that befell them. Sometimes there were consequences that they watched with wide eyes as other people, you know, suffered because of disobeying the Lord. But they've got to know. And they've got to know what it is that God wants them to do and how he wants them to do it, how he wants them to live. And I'm convinced that what God is looking for today is for a believer in a church that will do what God has commanded them to do. They'll do it in the right way, and they'll do it with a pure heart. 
Now, does God have to have a pure heart? No, he uses dirty vessels like you and me all the time, doesn't he? But how much greater would the blessing be? How much greater would the joy be if our hearts were right with God? And let's be honest. We live like Isaiah in an unclean society, do we not? We live in a society now where Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, remember? And I dwell among people with unclean lips. Have you listened? Have you listened to how people talk lately? Have you thought about how much goes on in the world in which we live that instead of bringing glory and honor to God, it's mainly curses? And you know where cursing comes from? Read Romans chapter 3. It says their hearts are full of cursing and bitterness. Cussing's not just a bad habit. Pardon my French. I've heard so many people say that. You know, the truth is, if I could really help them, I would touch their heart and remove the bitterness that's in it. Don't be angry at them. They don't know any better. Life has been cruel. Life has been hard. They don't know where to turn because no one seeks after God. And they're doing the best they know how to do. And their hearts are so full of bitterness because of disappointment, because of disillusionment, because of betrayal. Don't raise your hand or anything. Let me just ask you, this question how many people do you know that stood in an altar like this pledged their life to someone else and someone else pledged their life to them and that's all blown up and exploded now you think that you can just walk through that and just go yeah no big deal sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work no it hurts and when you look at the divorce rate even among christians all that tells me is there's a lot of disillusioned, hurting, and maybe even bitter people. And their hearts are full of cursing and bitterness too. And I think about that and I think about a world that lies, a world that will scheme, a world that makes promises, a world that kind of throws out bait and everything seems to be bait and switch what you thought you were getting when you were getting the the book of secrets turned out not to be so secret after all and turned out to be more self-destructive than anything else think about how the world in your lifetime has promised freedom especially sexual freedom and i want you to think about how morals have changed, sexual morals have changed over the decades that you have been alive. I want to ask you a question. Has it made people happier? Has it made people better? Has it strengthened families? Has it made society stronger? How about our mental health? Is it better now than it was a few decades ago? How about 
the way people relate to one another. Is it better? Has it improved? And of course, the answer would be no. Because when we go our own way, the Bible says there is a way that seems right. And for all of you who used to be hippies, let's put it like this. There's a way that feels right. You remember what they told your generation? If it feels good, do it. Yeah, that was the standard for everything. If it feels good, do it. Well, there's a way that feels good unto man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And think about, think about how many things have died in our culture that we wish we could pull back, that we wish we could resurrect, but they're gone. And unless God does something, and unless God intervenes, they're gone forever. And sometimes we look back at those times, and deep in our heart, we long for those things. Why do you think the Hallmark Channel is so popular at Christmas? Remember our Christmas musical? Talked about all of those kind of things. I mean, they all end the same way. And yet they're popular. People watch them. Why? Because inside of us, while we make fun of some of those things, while we make fun of the leave it to beaver generation and those kind of things, there's a part of us inside that longs for those kind of days. Longs to have a family situation like that, that longs to have streets where you could walk down them at midnight and not be afraid. We long for days when people like Abraham Lincoln had nicknames like Honest Abe because he would walk miles to return change to someone. We long for those kind of times. Why are those times gone? Why are those times kind of mocked in some ways? Why is it that they elude us? And a lot of it has to do with what we're going to look at now in Exodus chapter 20. It's because we've exchanged morality for immorality. And it's even fallen among Christians, even those who go to church every Sunday uh, like you do. How we have changed and how we've been stained and how we are not quite the same as we know we really ought to be. And we are raising a generation that doesn't even know that some of the things we'll look at over the next few weeks in the Ten Commandments, they don't even know they even exist. Have you ever watched a television show and uh, when you see these two people, a man and a woman, doesn't even have to be that anymore, does it? And they meet... And the next thing you know, they're sleeping together. Then they decide, oh, this is the one. And someone says, you're getting married? Yeah, why? Is she pregnant? And everything's all out of whack. Everything's all out of order. And the whole idea that anybody might wait until after they are married to have sexual relationships, well, that's just laughable the way it is. Is it? Is it? Or is it maybe the right way. Maybe it's a better way to raise children. Maybe it makes more secure, uh, uh, brings more security in the life of a child. Maybe God's ways really are the best ways. So Moses 
has it on his heart from the Holy Spirit to speak to the children of Israel and to kind of do a reset from slavery. This is sort of the constitution, I guess we would say, of Israel. And they are going to learn this lesson. And uh, it's something that is carried on over even into the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. And let's uh, read this together. And we'll just cover a few. I'm going to actually read more verses than we're going to cover. Okay? And here's what it says in verse 1. And God spoke... All these words saying, here's the quote, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, and that's got to be tied to idolatry and false gods, to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me And keep my commandments. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Because the truth is all of us are idolaters. The apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament. That we are to avoid covetousness. Which is idolatry. That was the thing that got Paul. For example, he said, the other commandments I kind of had a a good handle on. And then I found out that covetousness was a sin. Man, it's hard to keep from coveting what someone else has and wanting what they have. And Paul fell prey to it as well. And uh, we think about these commandments that are given. The first half of these commandments that we read all relate to God. All relate to God. Because until you get that part right, then being a parent is going to be tough. Staying married is going to be tough. Keeping your thought life pure is going to be tough. Not coveting what other people have is going to be tough. Not stealing from other people is going to be tough. All of that is is very, very difficult until you get things right with God. And so the first thing that he calls for is to get things right with God. Don't bow down to an idol. Don't make something that you're going to try to worship. And isn't it interesting after God says that, how far along is it before the golden calf comes along? I mean, it doesn't take long for us to mess things up. It doesn't take long for us to make confessions like the people of Israel do in just a few verses. All that the Lord says to us, we will do. You ever done that? You ever come to the altar and made promises to God that you didn't keep even before you got out of the building? I mean, it's so easy for us to kind of put on before God a show and then not do what we said we were going to do. And uh, that's lying, isn't it? And I mean, it's just easy for us to fall into this and 
to break these things because we're not as moral as we think we are. Now, I want to uh, talk to you, first of all, about the origin of morality. Where does it originate? Some people have the idea that it just, well, society. It comes from society. You know, it comes from families. This is what grandpa said. This is what our church said. It's just all kind of a, a man-made thing. But you'll notice here, these verses start off with the words, and God spoke. Morality comes from the word of God. It comes from the mouth of God. These are not our ideas. This is not our way of manipulating or controlling. This is not our way of scaring you into doing what we want you to do so that we can control you and keep everything in order. It's not that at all. This comes from the Word of God. And in fact, I would always, as we have so many of the years that we've been here, encourage you to look for yourself into the Word of God to make sure that whatever it is that I'm preaching or anyone else is, to make sure it's accurate. Because we can all fall prey to taking verses out of context or believing philosophies that are not quite square with the Word of God. We want to make sure. And I think it's interesting when it says, and God spoke, that's the basis for everything Moses is going to say from this point on. It doesn't really matter. Some people say, well, I just do whatever works. Well, that's not really the standard, is it? The standard is, what does God say? What does God say? And so, all of this is going to open up based upon this because it doesn't originate with you it doesn't originate with me it doesn't originate with our religion or our church or anything it originates with the word of God how serious are the ten commandments for example well they're very serious because they come from the mouth and from the heart of God they're not just something that are nice ideas or as some people have said ten suggestions and yet think about it in our society one nation under God, we say. In God we trust, we say. And you think about how many laws, how many acts of Congress, how many executive orders. You think about how many things have happened in our culture and in our lifetime that basically spit in the face of God in every commandment that he has given us. You go back one generation from me. Of course, I know I'm old. But you go back one generation from me. My mother talked about going to school and seeing the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall. Can you imagine? When my mother and my father went to school, the day started off with prayer and Bible reading. Imagine that. By the time I came along, those things became illegal when I was three years old. I have never had a time where a teacher legally took the Bible and opened it up and read it to a class. Now, I had a third grade teacher in Arkansas that did it, but she would have gotten in quite a bit of trouble if anybody had wanted to turn her in for it because the Supreme Court had already said 
several years before that that you couldn't do it. So I have seen it done, but not legally, not legally. And in one generation, that's all it took to go from honoring God, honoring the supreme authority, and honoring the commandments that he gave, and look where we are now. It doesn't take long, does it? Because when you forget about God, and when you push God aside, and when you deny the existence of God, when you deny the authority of God, then all that's left is for us to live like animals. And boy, we've done a good job at that. Look at society today. Look at the hurt. Look at the pain. Look at the problems. Look at the corruption. Look at all of those things that happen. Secondly, I want you uh, to notice with me that uh, because it originates with God, then it doesn't ever change because God doesn't change. So let's look secondly at the scope of morality and notice that the next phrase says, the Lord spoke, what? All these words, not some of these words, not part of these words, but all of these words. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed for believers like you and he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what is the scope of all of this? It is the word of God. Not just the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, but everything from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. We need to be teaching our children. We need to be modeling for our children what the book says and living by what the book has to say so that they see it in us and so that it's not weird or abnormal, but it's a normal part of their life to see godly, biblical morality lived out in front of them. And far too often we uh, preach to them while they're young and we uh, tell them what they ought to do and then by the time they are teenagers or in their 20s, we've abandoned it. We've seen a lot of people do that and it's a sad, sad thing. We've got to live by it all the rest of our lives. I don't know why this, whatever it's going on, is affecting my voice. That's strange. I don't really want to know, by the way. Okay. So if any of you, if you know, just write me a letter, something like that. Okay. Thirdly, I want you to notice that all of this has to flow from a relationship. Now, we can be hard-nosed legalists about all of this and then wonder why we don't impact our children. But notice that the very next phrase that we look at says, saying, I am the Lord your God. Is he your God? If all you're doing is just taking a code of ethics and a code of regulations, trying to live by it and trying to force it upon your family, no wonder it doesn't work. Nobody likes that. But when you know the Lord and when you understand his love for you and when you understand 
that God, as he puts these things together, he did not have it in his mind, how can we repress them? How can we make everything miserable for them? No, that's not it at all. And when you come to know the Lord by grace through faith, the way you come to know him is you look at his law and you look at his standard for morality and you realize that everybody has broken it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have done some things that, uh, I mean, my goodness, we wouldn't even uh, know what to do if everybody started standing up and telling their deepest, darkest sins and secrets about all of this. It would be shocking to uh, a lot of you. And yet God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your law-breaking, to die for those deep, dark sins that would be so embarrassing for you to expose to us, and yet they are exposed to God. And what does God do? He said, I forgive. I forgive because the penalty has been paid by the blood of my son. And you've received that, and you've surrendered to him as Lord. And because of that, they're washed clean. And on your record book today, you see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is not just to get us to the point of doing what is right, but knowing the one who is righteous. This is a point to become the righteousness of Christ. That's what the Bible says. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And so for you and for me today, if we have trusted Jesus, it's more than just asking him into our heart or something like that. It's more than just living up to a code of ethics. It's this, he has taken your sin, oh praise his name, he has taken your sin, he's taken your shame. Shame, that part that you would die if anybody knew what you had done. And he does. And he's taken it. And he put it all upon his son. And Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. And what did he do? Washed it white as snow. Praise his holy name for that. Amen. So we think about this and we think about it. It's got to be more than just getting people to act a certain way, getting our kids to act a certain way. It's got to be more than that. Do they know him? And do we know him? Do we love him? And do we understand what he has done for us? And then the last thing. Oh, the Bible talks to us here about the purpose that we find in obedience. And I want you to notice, he said, who brought you, the Lord your God, that personal God, who brought you out of the house of bondage. God has a purpose. Why did he say, keep sexual relations within the bounds of marriage? That means no premarital no extramarital, nothing like that. Keep it within marriage. Why did he say that? Because just like with the children of Israel, he wanted to deliver you from bondage. 
And just like Israel, he wanted to protect you from ever going back into that bondage. Why does God tell us how to relate to our mothers and our fathers, to relate to him, to worship him? Why did God tell us about stealing and about coveting and about killing and all of those things that you find? I mean, they cover the gamut, don't they? Why? Because any society that begins to tolerate any of those things is not or is no longer a free society. Let me tell you something. The United States of America claims freedom, but it is anything but free. Think about the people that are addicted. Think about the people that are enslaved to their sin. Think about the people that everything that they do is controlled by their own lust. Think about people that you know that can't provide for their families because of sin. Think about all of the destruction and the hurt and even mental illness and things that are coming upon our children simply because parents couldn't live according to ten simple commands. And what happens every time we go, ooh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be like that. I can do whatever I want to do. Can you hear the chains that the enemy begins to wrap around them? Because they are anything but free. And our country is anything but free today. And there is so much pain, so much hurt, so much hypocrisy. There's so much shame all of the stuff you see that is going on, and there's only one way to get out of it. See, the Bible tells us here that God visits the iniquities of the fathers on the children. You know what that means? Not that the children have to take up the father's sins. It's not that. It's that what the fathers do, what the parents do, is going to carry over, and it influences the children and the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren, and the great-great-grandchildren. I mean, it's amazing how sin permeates those things. But did you notice how it also says that the Lord is able to give what kind of uh, grace and mercy here? Well, it says that he is showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. Now notice he didn't just say, to those who keep my commandments, because there are a lot of moralists out there, but those who, what's the key? Love me. And so I just close by asking you to think about this today. I know you try to live a Christian life, and I know you want the blessings of God, but here's the key. Are you following his word And are you doing it because you love him? And as you love him, and as you serve him, he empowers your life and gives you influence, but he also gives you a lot of mercy because you need it like I do. And may God continue to give us mercy through his word and through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that as we live and walk in these days of darkness that we don't become another casualty and another victim and our families don't become another one along the way.
And by his grace, may he take those who do need it and restore them. How many of you know a family that could use restoration? May God, through his mercy, grant that we would be instruments of grace to see families actually restored by bringing our society and bringing our family and bringing our children into line with his commandments, with his law, and his morality because it originated from him, didn't it? And because of that, we always turn back to God, not to psychology, not to any of those things, but back to him. May God grant that we would return to him in this wicked society and that he would use us to point other people to Jesus Christ and who he is and the standard that he has laid down for us for his glory and also for our good in everything that we do. Heavenly Father, forgive us as people, forgive us as a nation for all of the times when we've decided we can have it our own way. We can do whatever we want to do just because we want to do it. And help us to see that all we've done has caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of heartache. And we're asking you to forgive us and cleanse us and draw us back to yourself. And we ask you for that mercy. Mercy on the United States of America. Mercy upon us as the people of God in the United States of America. And we're praying, Lord, that as we do that, it would glorify you to bring us and to bring a nation back to a right relationship with you and back to true morality. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.